0: All right, everyone out there who's stock rich and cash poor, what if you could generate liquidity from your private company shares without giving away the upside? Well, SharesPost is now offering loans against private company shares and loans to exercise stock options. SharesPost lending, the new liquidity solution. Visit SharesPost.com.
1: Coming up on equity, Uber shares its financials, Instacart raises a big round, and layoffs at Amazon. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Katie Roof, joined by my colleague, Matthew Lindley. Hello. Alex is off today, but our special guest is Mike Gafari, who is a general partner at Social Capital. Thanks for joining us, Mike.
2: How's it going, guys?
1: So, uh, yeah, big week. Uh, Uber shared its financials, and... They're, they have a lot of revenue, but they're, they're losing a lot of money. No surprises there. But actually, uh, I got to see the new CEO in person yesterday at the Goldman Sachs Technology Conference in San Francisco, and he was defending these financials. It was, it was interesting. He, he basically said they could be profitable if they want to, uh, that they are that, – that they're Reason that they're losing so much money is because they've been investing in developing markets. He mentioned Asia, but he said that if they wanted to just focus on their their core cities, uh, they had positive contribution margins. That's their measurement for profitability by city uh, in, in a lot of their major cities. And so he was he was trying to argue that their that their core business is doing really well, but it's these these experiments. And by experiments, I mean. Uh, new markets that that are dragging down the um, financials. But he also made it clear that they're not going to change their strategy anytime soon and that he does think it's worthwhile for them to be investing in these new markets. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like he's trying to, practice what he's going to say about the company when they go public next year? Like,
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, can we take a step back and say, like, first of all, we're talking about a private company's, like, earnings release, right? So that's, <laughs> that's kind of funny, right? And so I literally Googled last night. I was like, why is Uber disclosing their financials? At my own? And then Katie Roof's article came up as, like, the second hit. on well, Google. of I, course. I, yeah, it's, a, it's an Uber share. You could read the headline. Do you remember it? It was Uber. Uber sh-
1: could be profitable if it wants to, says CEO. <laughs> yeah. I, that, I like that, that yeah, headline. Yeah. I if i did say so myself i mean for, for
0: sure like dara is uh he's great at talking i mean when you've run a company that's like actually done pretty well for whatever it was 13 years I, I imagine you get used to this kind of stuff but like he's i feel like he's getting the narrative down where they've just tried to like push away all of the baggage that was there with travis kalanick and then now it's like okay well what's another way we can kind of push that baggage even further well like People are going to find our financials anyway, right? So, like, we might as well just like disclose it, right? I'll... Yeah,
1: and and more specifically, revenue last year was seven point five billion, and, and they lost four point five billion last year. So, and he he touted a forty billion dollar run rate, but that's actually um, a measurement I think of total transactions. It's not it's not all revenue going to the company. Uh, but he was talking about more than a hundred percent revenue growth rate, which means they're doubling. So, I mean, their business, their top line is growing fast. In fairness to to Uber, I mean, they've they've done extraordinarily well despite all the the negative publicity. And he talked all about that. Uh, he was also really um, keen on self driving cars, and I mean, we knew that already. But he claimed that that's going to really bring costs down for the business and really for the the consumers, which he said it will cost about a dollar per mile down from what he says is roughly two dollars and fifty cents per mile for urban areas. So. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he had a lot to say. He talked all about SoftBank and how that was – well, he tried to talk about how smart SoftBank was and that that was why they took the money. And then he was like, oh, yeah, we also got liquidity for our shareholders. I mean, for – especially for the employees which was nice um yeah, i believe
0: i believe the phrase used was uh, i'd rather have their capital cannon behind me versus having it facing me
1: yeah something like that yeah i wonder
0: if that's a shot at uh, <laughs> the competitors
2: there yeah. the cannons are facing you
1: yeah well yeah. i mean speaking of cannons facing at them uh, alphabet you know they had the the lawsuit with Waymo, their self-driving car division. He also talked about that and how he's very happy to put it behind us. That's what he said. Um, He called it a significant distraction and um, basically decided that settling with them was the right way to just move forward so that they can go on and Go back to being a company that's focused on transportation. He sounded really, really, really eager to put all of Uber's past legal issues and cultural issues and what have you behind him and just focus on on I think an IPO.
2: But I think that's an important point. So you you know, there's that four billion plus number of a loss um, that's put out there. But I think the actual adjusted EBITDA number, so when you back out a bunch of these non cash charges, is closest closer to like a two billion dollar loss. So that's still a lot of money. I've never personally burned $2 billion in a year. I don't know if you guys have. Uh, That's a big uh, pill to swallow. But I think the theory is that things like autonomous vehicles could actually turn that upside down. It's maybe less of a whole. And it's a big deal. If you think about it, there's this massive battle, right, where you've got Waymo coming one angle, maybe Tesla and other kind of auto manufacturers at another angle. And then you've got the ride sharing people and like somebody's going to win and have mind share when cars are just on demand and they're not even driven by humans anymore if it's uber it could become the most valuable company in the world
0: he did mention that like they expect to have a hybrid model for for some time going forward so it's not like autonomous is going to come swoop in and like take over everything but at the same time it's like uber at this point and you know it's like oh like we're competing we're a transportation company with things like uber eats and uber freight or not uber freight but like whatever their freight product is going to be right is is you're competing now with like instead of taxis you're competing with car ownership right yeah And you have to, like, bring the cost of your rides down to the cost of, like, uh, actually owning a car and gas and depreciation of value and insurance and all of that kind of stuff, right? Which is high, but it's still, like seems a little less than actually I mean outside of an urban uh, an urban environment maybe uh, a little bit less than than like actually just taking an uber everywhere
1: yeah actually what are your thoughts on uber eats because you used to run eat 24 that was a division of yelp but they sold it to grubhub Grubhub. but you're really familiar with food delivery so I mean he was pretty bullish on uber eats yesterday do you think that's right are you
2: Uh, You know, I think definitely from a top line perspective, I think the number I heard thrown out, I don't know if you have the same one, is that Uber Eats reached a $4 billion gross revenue run rate uh, in the last quarter, which if that's the case, that's gross. That's not like their net take on it, but that's quite a bit of food volume. I think, you know, that's actually larger than everybody but Grubhub. I'd have to check Grubhub's number as well, but I think um, Uber Eats was definitely the company to watch. They were the fastest grow. They grew from a standing start to that. Uh, The real question is... Is there really synergy between what Uber does on driving around people and driving around food? That was their original thesis. I don't know if it's borne out. Like I don't know how many times you've been in the back of an Uber and there's been like some food next to you or not. Like it doesn't seem like they're actually sharing those networks. Yeah, Uh, you're right. So it's kind of like why, what is it that they're bringing to the table? But at the same time, I think they've got just, they do have a lot of advance on like routing technology and just figuring out how to do dispatch. Uh, They're able to also just promote the consumer app by promoting it, you know, cross-promoting between Uber. But is it interesting, like, did they really take advantage of the two networks and are they ever going to?
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think it makes sense as like two different companies? Cuz I mean, it's not it it's could not be. it's not unfamiliar to spin these things out if they don't make a lot of sense. I mean, I remember there was a lot of like there was that whole narrative that Microsoft should spin out Xbox cuz it just doesn't actually make sense in like the grand scheme of Microsoft, right? So I mean, I wonder if if Uber Eats
2: actually should be a part of Uber. I think the other question, too, is like, does Uber Eats, just from a branding and consumer sentiment perspective, make you more positive on Uber? You know, Uber, despite the clean slate and Dara coming in, still has all this baggage, right? So, but is Uber Eats like a softer, friendlier Uber that feeds you at night and like makes you feel warm and fuzzy? And so maybe you feel better about the Uber brand. It's an interesting question. like do they, I don't with know Xbox. About that, <laughs> Well, it's um, like
0: Seamless, right? Like Seamless is the New York brand. And it's like a, it's, you know, it, it's something that, you know, you know, you're going to, Open it up. You're going to get your five dollar udon. It's going to get to your door in like five or six minutes. The mechanics of it being relatively questionable, right? But again, same thing. It's like I I know that it's going to be a seamless experience. Whereas I look at this and it's like Uber Eats. It's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, we know it because I live in San Francisco, and there's it's nigh impossible to get around the city, uh, because of the public transportation is a nightmare, right? Um, without like walking to these places. But at the same time, it's like if you look over to Houston, for example, like Favor and Postmates are huge there, but it's not clear if like Uber Eats is something that's going to be like something crazy there.
2: Well, and then the other real question is, you know, there's talk of them going public in 2019. What are investors going to think about this if it is dragging down the profitability of the business? That'll be the really interesting thing to watch is like how much of the loss is attributable to Uber Eats, because I think the core rideshare business is actually more profitable than, than the food side.
1: Yeah, but speaking of, of food businesses that are maybe not worried about being profitable, uh, Instacart is raising a big round, really big round. Uh, you wrote the story on that, actually, uh, for, for TechCrunch. But, but um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about Instacart a lot on this show. Uh, they're raising $200 million at $4.2 billion valuation. But after the Amazon Whole Foods acquisition, I was not very optimistic about Instacart, but some people still are because they're getting more money. I, I use it as a consumer. I do use Instacart a, a good amount because I'm, I'm lazy and I don't like carrying groceries. And I also don't have a car. So it's it's a, it's kind of a win-win for me. But um, but I mean, we're, are, are you surprised?
2: Yeah, you know what's funny is we live probably about a three-minute walk from a Whole Foods. That's really how we picked where we live. Uh, and we still order Instacart every week in our members. Um, so there's That sounds something, about
1: right. That sounds like me. Yeah, there's
2: something <laughs> interesting because you don't want to carry the huge heavy bags, right? Like right. why not get that delivered? And then when you go to Whole Foods, it could be this fun experience of like picking out fruits and stuff like that one by one. Um, <laughs> but one one interesting thing is I think – the Amazon Whole Foods deal pushed the other grocers that they had to work with Instacart, right? So I think they said they signed up seven of the top eight Mm -hmm. grocery chains. Albertsons
0: is like the most recent one. Yeah, so they've
2: signed up Albertson. So it might, the the game might be like, hey, you guys should all be scared because like Amazon's going to eat your lunch, literally. Uh, And if you don't work with us, because all these other companies aren't going to merge with Amazon or somebody who's that far ahead with a consumer app.
0: It's an interesting um, business just because uh, I feel like Instacart, may have been the the kind of on-demand business that sparked that entire era of FOMO around on-demand. Um, and it's like the last one standing that still the valuation is continuing to go up, right? Um, I think the last round that they did last year was like a $3.4 billion valuation, right? Um, you know, that being said, like, they have this like incredibly strange and and um, uh, weird relationship with Whole Foods. I think they they still have the they still have a deal where you walk in and there are Instacart shoppers there and things like that, right? But I mean, that being said, like there is this. Uh, you do see a slight trend, maybe not even a slight trend. You do see a trend towards the Switzerland, right? Like, you know, I mean, for example, I mean, when I was at the uh, Goldman Sachs Internet and Technology Conference and uh, uh, Matt Zeiler, if I'm pronunci- pronouncing his name correctly, runs this company called Clarify. Right. And they do an image recognition API. And it's like, OK, well, Google has their image recognition and Pinterest has their image recognition. And all these other companies are you know, probably going to have their own like spin on image recognition. So we'll be Switzerland. Anyone can use us. We're like a neutral platform. You don't have to worry about Google coming in and like tweaking knobs and things like that. And all of a sudden you don't have access to something like that. Right. Instacart's kind of like that, too. It's right. It's like you can use us. I mean, you kind of have to now, you know, you still are under this existential threat. But that being said, you know, there is, you know, we're a four point two billion dollar neutral platform that anyone can use. Right. I mean, unit economics and uh, customer satisfaction and driver and shopper satisfaction notwithstanding. Right.
2: Well, compared to Uber Eats, I'll tell you a couple of things about Instacart that I always found interesting. When I was running uh, you know, restaurant delivery, uh, food delivery business, I always told people, actually, when they asked me about Instacart, grocery delivery sounds pretty compelling. Like Your AOVs are significantly higher. You, know, you can be $100, $200 order values instead of $20 or $30. Think about the profitability of then having somebody going to drive that when you're charging kind of a percentage basis of that. Um, you can make it work. We, for restaurant delivery, you often have to make it work off like 7 or $8 to pay the driver, and drivers want more than 7 or $8 for these drives. With an Instacart delivery, it's a lot easier when you add in all the fees to get them that. Um, and then at the same time, you have to work with a lot less suppliers rather than like tens of thousands of restaurants you can work with just a handful of grocery chains and do a really customized solution with them. So there's a there's a lot of benefits to and a lot of ways that you could see their unit economics ending up to be better. It's just this how formidable is Amazon and Whole Foods? You, you saw the thing that now they're doing the 2 hour delivery like was it was yeah, there supposed to be an exclusive delivery, and then yeah. now they're but now they're competing. I don't know what's going on. Yeah,
1: they're going to be doing rolling out more Whole Foods two-hour delivery. I think yeah. that's what you're referencing. Um, and I'm excited for that to come to San Francisco. But yeah, so I mean, Instacart and Whole Foods do have a multi-year uh, par- partnership, but that that part doesn't look good for Instacart. But, you know, not everyone wants to shop at Whole Foods, and that is the part that Instacart has to its advantage. And, you know, I've met with Apoorva, the CEO of, of Instacart, and he explained to me all that. And and, and actually, yes, their business model um, did did sound pretty good when he was explaining it to me. But the valuation is just the part where I'm like, $4.2 billion. Already when they were $3.4 billion, I thought, how are they going to get acquired? Because that that they're just so expensive that... I mean, yes, large grocery ch- store chains could afford to buy them, but he even like, you know, he'd even downplayed some of those possibilities and granted I met with him a long time ago, but um, you know, and people in the industry had had downplayed some of those possibilities about them selling to a grocery store chain. So if they weren't going to sell to a grocery store chain because I think the concern there would be that they have um then that might harm the relationships with other grocery totally. stores. Totally, that neutral concept, right? Exactly. So that's the problem with them working with any one of these exclusively. Uh, but if if they weren't to sell t- to another grocery store chain, then then who would buy them? Like Walmart? I don't think my understanding, based on sources, is Walmart already wasn't going to consider paying the three point four billion that they were valued at. Well, like so plus a premium, right? Stakes. Yeah. yeah this, plus, of course, right? Exactly. It's like you don't even even like that would be the like a bare minimum. You don't want to, I mean, and late stage investors would be disappointed if it was sold for for its last valuation. So at a bare minimum, you want it to be above that, uh, let alone now they're raising it to 4.2 billion. So, I mean, granted, food is a global business and there's a lot of people who want to be in the business of food or expand the business of food or whatever but it just seems like the stakes are really high high for Instacart now.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing to remember is that when you look at a lot of these companies, especially ones that kind of got in early, um you can sort of say, okay, we're going to value company at like 4.2 billion dollars based off of free free cash flow or burn or next year's revenue or something like that, right? but they also have a lot of data right i mean if you look at a company like foursquare right they were this big consumer app and like they had this they were this big consumer app and they had this super super high valuation and then it just like poof, poof, right but they're still around um and they you know managed to piece together around it was at a lower valuation but it's like yeah but we're a data business like we spent you know we were this consumer app we did a really good job with it um at the same time we spent like years collecting data on what a true geofence for a like a a venue is right not like the kind of actual physical fence but like what people consider the true geofence of that where you know maybe starbucks is like more like a polygon than a square right um i guess it's the same thing but um uh octagon um
2: call my high school (laughs) geometry teacher and get some answers
0: but i mean if you (laughs) uh, if you if you look at um uh i mean if you look at like instacart they have all this data on like the shoppers and like what they're buying and if i'm costco for example and i'm you know they're a partner of mine i can be like hey well like can we advertise on you right like can we advertise products on you and then you know maybe i'm procter and gamble all the way down the chain i'm like hey like you know i saw you work with costco costco carries a ton of like of our cpg products what can we do to kind of figure out who wants these cpg products and stick the stick the you know photo of the Tide ad or the Tide ad in the race I think Tide has Procter Gamble right <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I think yeah
1: Yeah no I mean you make a great point actually is it I mean that's really valuable that they have information they know what brand of cereal I'm buying and maybe if I change my mind sometimes and if I'm how loyal I am that's information that um, cereal companies would want to know Oh yeah They and- would want to know if there's a chance that their ad if they show me their ad that I'll be like you know what I'll go back to cornflakes. Like that's that's relevant.
2: Let's remember, CPG brands right now are terrified of Silicon Valley. Every CPG, so P and G, they've all opened up innovation hubs. So my sister-in-law was actually working for the p Innovation Hub of San Francisco and they moved her out here. So people are coming from the Midwest over here from corporate. Um, and it's, this is a big concern to theirs because as your decision is getting more and more pushed away from TV and traditional channels that CPG would reach you uh, to your, your phone right and clicks that you're making, they've got to be at the front of that. So Instacart does have this really interesting position there. But to the point of them getting bought, I think it's got to be a public company at this point. That's that's the bet, um, and nothing's guaranteed.
1: Instacart but you, IPO, huh? <laughs>
2: Instacart IPO. That's, that's what do you the think, like 2020? <laughs> it's possible. I don't see why not. Um, you know, I think it, with Uber's financials as they are, it shows you that right now, at least to be you know speculate for an IPO, even in 2019, you don't need to be profitable. So that's the big question is, will investors turn and require more profitability?
0: Yeah, I mean, also, there's all that cash repatriation that just happened, right? Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I don't know who repatriated the cash that would buy that. I guess Google would do it because they have three sure. different arms that have investments in Uber at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> <So>. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think Google's going to buy Instacart. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they will. But, um, yeah... <laughs> The IPO, that would be an interesting one to watch because Blue Apron didn't go well. And they're not the same thing, but people considered them to be in the grocery space. Yeah. So that's a really, really bad comparable. So they're going to have to make sure that that is...
2: The Blue Apron scar tissue yes, has to be removed.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be a it's little bit... It's probably a
2: keloid at this point, right? <laughs>
1: but, um, but yeah, I mean, Amazon this week, I mean, the one that everyone's so worried about is somehow laying off hundreds of people anyways, even though their business is booming, they're cutting hundreds of corporate jobs. That's got to hurt. Like the company's doing really well, but you're laid off anyway. Like that's that sucks. Um, yeah.
2: First, you know what's crazy? I wanted to look up like how many employees do they have total versus how many? So Amazon's got, I think 566,000 employees, which that's just insane, right? That's like a pretty medium-sized city on its own. That's almost the size of San Francisco actually with like 800,000. Google seventy five thousand, Facebook twenty five thousand, Apple eighty thousand, Microsoft's like one hundred twenty five. So it dwarfs the size of all these other companies. So actually, a few hundred people at headquarters. I think this is just the Bezos you know they're just very very focused on performance and they're cleaning up but it's actually not a huge number if you put it in perspective
1: sure sure as a percentage it's it's very small but um, but yeah i mean it's it's they're doing quite a few at once so i mean clearly it is to improve also i would i would assume financials in certain divisions they did say something about I, I don't remember how they worded it, but it was something about uh, consolidating some of their businesses and, and cutting back on spending in certain areas. But um, but yeah, I think it, Amazon overall is doing yeah. really well. I'm well, not yeah. worried about them. I, mean, I don't think investors should be spooked by this. Uh, I mean, they, yeah. they have
0: also like what seems – I mean, you know – 3 or 4 years ago would have it seemed very weird but now it's like oh yeah like they've actually strung together a number of quarters that have been profitable right i mean most of that's probably due to aws and yeah. the insane operating margins that they get off of a bunch of you know servers and buildings and people needing that kind of stuff right um but but i mean it you know for for amazon the it it kind of makes sense because it looks different now than it did like 4 years ago right they have all these like side bets now like alexa and aws and twitch and uh now potentially delivery with whole foods and buying whole foods and all these other things right and it's like it's really easy to when you're in crazy growth phase like higher 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 right and then all of a sudden you have like you know 10 20 30 40 50 60 100 people on a product that is you know maybe not the bet that it's going to the, not the huge bet that it's going to be in like 2025, right? Or something like that, right? Um, I mean, you know, layoffs suck, right? But at the same time, um, it's you know, it's an opportunity to kind of like rebalance your, your, uh, your priorities.
2: And I think part of this might be almost a cultural statement from the top of Amazon's like, hey, this is not like university tenured employment just because we're doing really well. It's like, we're not immune. We're going we're gonna to do austerity measures when needed. Every division has to perform. It's part of what keeps Amazon. Amazon's just—they're very, very operationally efficient, you know. And there's people who love it and people who don't like it, but I think it's just part of who they are.
0: Yeah, no, Amazon's like a notorious place to work, right? Yeah. So
2: what's interesting? <laughs> well, yeah. I know people there who really love it. Like, there's people who thrive and need that environment of just you're—you're you're always kind of you're, you're going at you're constantly going as hard as you can every single day.
1: Yeah, there was that story a few years back in the New York Times about how all these employees were crying at their desks and all <laughs> that. But you know, I've heard mixed things. I mean, obviously some people have had a tough experience working there, but some people like it. I think you're gonna find that, I mean, while the while company cultures are real, I think when you have a company of that size Individual people in certainly different divisions Mm -hmm. are going to have different experience. So,
0: I mean, mean, one thing I will say is like when you you know when you talk to engineers out here or even people in operational roles, um, they're always like, if you can survive a year at Amazon. Or, like, if you can survive a year at Tesla or if you can survive a year at, like, one of these really hard-to-work yeah. places, like, you're good. Yeah. Like, you, like, that's on um. your resume and, like, a pers- hiring manager's like, oh, my God, like, you managed to make it through Amazon for a year. <laughs>
2: totally. Right? Yeah. You're
1: soulless <laughs> yeah. and strong. <laughs>
2: no. Yeah, it's like Navy SEAL training or something, right? <laughs> like, you can really do <laughs> – you can really make kind it Kind of.
1: I mean, maybe not quite. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's <laughs> also I don't, don't want to offend any Navy SEALs <laughs> Yeah,
2: I mean, Sure. They, well, okay, fair were, enough. There was also that, like, idea For us in Silicon Valley. Larry <laughs> Siltrer. Like to think of that <laughs> yeah, out
1: here
0: cuz we like can't like do
2: that. 10 pushups. So.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I mean it's I mean it's also there was like, you know, there's this that kind of feeling that Microsoft is graduate school, right? Yeah. Out of UW or like Gonzaga
2: or totally any of those places up there, right? That's that so. university tenure thing, right? Yeah. Like whoever gets laid off from Microsoft, like they do when they have to do restructuring, yeah. but you don't feel like if Microsoft's doing well that they would touch you even if nobody really knows what you do, yeah. you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, maybe
0: we should all move to Seattle. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> too cold,
2: taxes. too
1: rainy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But um, yeah, well, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week.
0: All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Picavet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday.